Hello and welcome to Web of Tomorrow, a podcast about the web and the people who build it. I'm Adam Garrett-Harris. I talked with Kent C. Dodds a while back about how to jumpstart your career. My name is Kent C. Dodds and I work at PayPal as a software maker person. (laughs) All right, so we're talking about how to jumpstart your career. You had to talk about this about a year ago. And one of the things you mentioned is there's a talent shortage. So why, why is that? Yeah. So I think, uh, the, like, I, I think it's pretty clear for anybody who has, um, a fair amount of experience in software development, um, that there's a talent shortage. And so, yeah, I think why that is, um, well, actually, I should say, like, I think Eric Elliott quite a while ago wrote a blog post about the talent shortage where he, he uh, gives some actual numbers and stuff. But in any case, uh, I think that part of the reason why there's a talent shortage is um, more uh, or less about the there being actually a talent shortage and more about the fact that companies aren't interested in training talent. Um, and so, like... I have countless uh, junior developers hit me up on like help me find a job or like how can I set myself apart whatever um, and uh, yeah the companies just aren't hiring and training these perfectly capable developers um, my I, I recently changed roles at PayPal but my last team um, was mostly composed of of developers that uh, we hired straight out of a boot camp and they were all fantastic. Um, so I think uh, part of the reason is um, companies are not um, like even looking at candidates who are coming out of boot camps or school. And then if they are, uh, their interview style is just broken. And so they miss out on these really awesome opportunities to hire these people. Um, but in, in any case, wh- whatever the reason it, there is, uh, this industry ha- has like a wealth of opportunity. Um, and so, yeah, getting into it and is, I, I'm not going to say it's easy because it's totally not easy. Um, but there's just a lot of opportunity um, in this industry, which is pretty cool. And, and it's... Um, like w- one of the cool things about this industry as well is you don't have to be in it for 15 years to start making a really big impact. Um, I've only been in, like I graduated just over three years ago uh, with my degree and, and started working full time. And I, I speak internationally and I, I give trainings and workshops and stuff. Um, and I, I just like, I, I think it's super cool that you can jump in and start contributing really quickly in this industry uh, just because the way that it um, that this industry works. So anyway, that's a bunch of words and thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what was your degree in? Um, I graduated with a, a master's degree in information systems. Okay. And did you start programming right away? Um, yeah. So when I was in school, uh, like information systems is normally a degree that's more centered around like project, uh, project management and networking, um, like not, not the social networking, but like physical networking. (laughs) Um, and, uh, yeah, like stuff like that system design kind of stuff. Um, but at BYU where I graduated, uh, there was a, um, like a bit of more of a focus on the coding aspect. 
And there were a couple of classes that you could take to do coding stuff. And so I, I kind of focused on that. And I, I mostly did, uh, like, I did a lot of stuff on the side and internships where I just coded. Um, so, yeah, I, I started coding, um, like, for for money um, in 2011, I think, um, while I was in school. Okay. And so how did you decide to get into programming? Well, that's uh, that can be a long story or a short story. Um, but, Let's get uh, the short short version. I'll give you a short one, yeah. Um, so I, when I started at school uh, back in 2007, um, I decided to do electrical engineering because my brother did that and he was doing cool stuff with computers and I thought computers were kind of neat. And so um, I had to take two programming classes um, and that was my first real exposure to programming. I did a little bit of HTML and CSS when I was in high school and stuff. But yeah, like I remember my friend trying to teach me what a string was in uh, in programming. And it was I think he was writing C or something. And it just like totally didn't make any sense to me. So when I got to college, I, I started taking these classes. And uh, I did pretty well in these classes. But I just couldn't see myself programming all day. I thought it was dumb. Um, so I was like, yeah, okay, I guess I'm not going to do the programming thing, but like there's more to electrical engineering than programming. Right. So I don't know. So anyway, I, I went on a two year mission for my church. I got back and I decided to stick with electrical engineering until I realized that I'm terrible at math. And so I, I bounced around a little bit, got into accounting and then I did not like that. So, um, I ended up taking an information systems class where, um, I had to do some computer things and I was like, oh, this is cool. So I switched majors to that and then I, I got a job where um, they had me doing some monkey work and I was like, well, I'm taking this Java programming class. I wonder if I can automate some of that mon monkey work. And so I did. And in the process of automating that, now I could see, okay, so this programming thing isn't just about like um, using Vim and like <laughs> and getting totally lost in the whole environment and stuff. There, there's actually practical application where I can make an improvement in my own life and, and in the lives of others. And so that's when I got excited about it. Nice. Did they, did they uh, ask you to use Vim in college? Dude, it is the dumbest thing. But the TA was like, okay, everybody, I'm going to teach you how to use my favorite editor, Vim. <laughs> and uh, just like it, it was a little while, like a couple months later, I think the professor found out and he was like, no, 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 no. We're gonna give them Eclipse, and like they're gonna be able to to write in a real like IDE, so that they're not lost in this little editor that you decided to teach them. It was so dumb. Uh, yeah, so I I haven't forgiven him for that. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm sure. What what I've seen is a lot of people get into their first computer science class, and then they feel like they've missed some sort of prerequisite, and they're just so hmm. far behind in their very first class, and that's that's really yeah. unfortunate. Yeah, I I could definitely relate to that. Um, I felt like I was a little behind. I had I sat next to this kid who'd been programming since he was like ten or something, and and he was just toying away on his computer and still doing really well, and it frustrated me. Uh, so actually, one thing that I did uh, that I think was really helpful was um, the teacher um, asked if anybody wanted to be a tutor, and they just had this website where they list all the tutors, and then students could ask the tutors for help. And um, I was just as good as anybody else or, or like less good um, than a lot of people. But I decided that I'd try to be a tutor. 
Um, and that ended up being one of the best things that I did for my learning that year or that semester. It was, um, it was awesome. Uh, so I like it forced me to get the homework finished earlier so that I could help other people do it. And, uh, and in the, like, so I, I learned first by doing the homework. And then when I was teaching somebody else, I learned where the gaps in my knowledge were and it solidified everything for me. So that's like one of the big key takeaways from that talk. Um, um, is like teaching is the way that you solidify your understanding and, and find the holes, uh, the gaps in your knowledge where you need to, to fill that. Um, because like you can, uh, you can read a book, but that's like, and, and you can even build something, but you don't really, you, you have a solid grasp on it until you've actually, um, taught it to somebody else. So that was, that made a big difference for me. Awesome. So, how what do you recommend people go to college to if they want to become a programmer? Yeah, good question. So, um, I actually get that question quite a bit, a fair amount, and um, I have a, a um, I actually had somebody who was writing a blog post about this subject send me a couple questions, and I put those all on my GitHub AMA, um, and so you can um, maybe search for that um, to get a more holistic answer. But basically my answer is um, not really. So like um, I wouldn't go to college if I just wanted to learn how to program and get a job. Um, I might go to college if I was still like, um, if I was having a really hard time getting uh, my foot in the door at a company like, or just getting started um, in, in my career as a developer. Uh, because um, having that degree, especially a master's degree, um, helps me avoid the the resume filters that you find at companies. Uh, now it doesn't matter at all. Um, I don't I don't get jobs um, because I submitted an application um, anymore. It's now it's um, referrals and and uh, so that's why you know building a network is is really useful. Um, but at the beginning of my career, nobody knew me, um, and so I needed to have a, a resume that could get me through the door. And, and so having a master's degree on my resume um, was pretty, pretty helpful. Um, but uh, yeah, like I, I think that's a failing of the system, uh, not that I needed uh, to have that, that degree, but just that our system is designed around the, the need of um, that, um, that thing on your resume, which I think is totally bogus. But most of the uh, people on my team at my last team um, were straight out of a boot camp, didn't have uh, degrees, and, and they're fantastic developers. So, um, yeah, so I'm glad that PayPal, at least on, on the team I was on, we were able to see past the, um, the resume into the, the skill that was behind it. Um, but, uh, yeah, as far as, like, whether to go to school, the other, other things that I learned uh, when I was at school was, like, how to deal with deadlines in a less, um, um, I guess, important uh, yeah. situation, um, and how to like work in teams and stuff. But like most of the like programming stuff that I learned, um, I could have learned it all myself. Like nobody taught me how to do Jot authentication when I was in school. Like nobody taught me how to 
do like most of the things that I, I know now I did not learn in school as far as like programming stuff is concerned. So if, if I were today, like, let's say that I'm an auto mechanic today and I'm trying to support four kids and my wife, uh, like enable my wife to stay at home to take care of them while I, I work. Um, and I decide, okay, I'm going to make, I'm going to pivot to software. What I would do is I, um, I, I would see if maybe I could do a boot camp um, because I, the value I see out of a boot camp is it kind of gives you some curriculum and structure about, around what you're learning. Yeah. Um, but if you can um, do that your, for yourself, then I don't think that's necessary. I'd probably try the free free code camp thing. Um, I haven't really looked into the curriculum too much, but I, a lot of people I respect have, have said that it's super good. So I trust them. and um, And so I would probably try something like that um, just on, uh, after hours or something, uh, because the, the real way that you gain experience is by doing things that give you experience, like building stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's, that's probably what I would do. I I would not go back to school. If I were trying to pivot, um, my career or something, I would, no way I'd go back to school for that. Right. Yeah. Four, four years or two years is way too long. Yeah. Too much money. Yeah. Well, and by the, like, the, the technology that's relevant when you start is totally different from the technology that's relevant when you end. So what are they teaching you between? Are they like changing what they're teaching you as you go through the program? I hope so, because otherwise what you're learning is irrelevant. And they're not. They're not teaching that. In fact, what you um, are learning when you start is already at least two or three years old. Yeah, at um, least. Yeah, so. I, didn't, I didn't learn version control or... Mm-hmm. Anything that's anything that's relevant to what I do now. Yep, yep. Uh, my my team at school, we taught ourselves version control because we're like, huh, this looks like a good idea. The teacher did not use version control. Yeah, actually, what we did is there was this new thing that came out called Dropbox, and we tried. Oh to use, yeah, we used Dropbox as our version control. <laughs> dude, I did that too. Actually, when I started, before I started using Git, I was like, dude, guys, check this thing out. We could just put our project in Dropbox. All right, everybody. Don't edit this file yeah. because I'm editing this file. Yeah, we would all be on chat at the same time and, and telling each other what file we were working on. Uh-huh, yeah, <laughs> I totally <laughs> can relate. And then you'd have like, oh, shoot, I saved it. Oh, and now you've got two versions of, of that file with our names on them. Yeah. Just so, <laughs> all right, time to manually merge those. Oh, gosh. So much better than uh, trying to be in the same room and emailing each other, though. Yo, yeah, I did that too, totally. You're right. <laughs> All right, so uh, you mentioned teaching. At what point do you start teaching? Yeah, good question. So, like, um, you can start teaching other people what you're learning I- immediately. Um, so as soon as you've learned something new, you probably know something that lots of people don't know yet. Um, and so, like, whether that's... Um, it, like, in school, I was able to teach my classmates what I was learning, and uh, that was really nice. I had... a you know, a school full of people who um, who didn't know some things that I knew. So it was really easy for me to to organize some unofficial thing um, and just have an excuse to teach people stuff. And and they were willing to come because, um, yeah, because I don't know, they wanted to learn stuff. They're they're students. Um, and so yeah, that was that was really nice. But yeah, as soon as I learned something new, I um, like I feel like. Y- as soon as you learn something new, you can start teaching about it. Um, 
And so you can like just teach it to one person, just one-on-one. You could record a video and put it up on YouTube. You could write a blog post. Um, but whatever, whatever you do, um, like wh- whatever you're learning, you can teach what you learn. In fact, like it might not be a bad idea to once a week, actually it'd be a fantastic idea to once a week try to distill the things that you learned in a blog post. And um, this is how like uh, Chris Coyer, uh, who does CSS tricks, this is how he started. He just like every single week he would write a blog post, just one blog post about something that he learned. And now CSS tricks is one of the biggest blogs about software development in you know on the internet. Um, and it's all just that once a week you just do some, say something that you learned. Um, so yeah, that would also like if I were transitioning from auto mechanic, uh, that'd be another thing that I would start doing right away um, with the knowledge that I have now. Um, that's that's something I would hope I would do is every week just take the things that I learned that last week and write a blog post about it. it doesn't have to be long. Um, it could be like a thousand words or something, thousand characters, whatever. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that's uh, like the the key takeaway there is you're you're not too inexperienced to teach something, um, even if you're teaching like your teenager kids or something. Like you can teach somebody something. Okay. Cool. And then as far as building stuff, what kind of stuff would you recommend people to build when they're first getting started? Yeah, that's a great question. For building stuff, um, like there's a changelog episode. I think it's episode 200. That number stands out in my mind, so it's easy to remember. But it's with uh, Raquel Vasquez. um, And she's Rockbot on Twitter, which I think is the coolest Twitter (laughs) handle. But Um, what she says in there, I thought was really enlightening. She said that like, she always struggled, uh, learning math because the teachers were always like, so we're going to teach you this algorithm and you're just going to memorize it and, and, you know, Pythagorean theorem, whatever. Um, and, uh, she was like, well, why this just doesn't make any sense. But then, um, at some point or, or somebody, um, had her like build something and, and she had to work backwards to gain the knowledge she needed to build that thing. And she was really excited. So she says, like, don't um, pick a, a topic that you want to learn about necessarily. Pick a thing that you want to build. And then you work backwards to acquire the knowledge that you need to build that thing. And so um, uh, your question was, like, how do you know what to build? Well, think of things that um, that you want to exist like one thing i wanted to exist when i was in school was i i wanted something that was better than um than facebook at compartmentalizing the uh, types of things that i'm interested in so i I actually um as kind of a proof of concept i built this app uh, that would pull in my facebook feed and then i could rank um the like pulled 100 things from my facebook feed and then I would rank each one from uh, zero to five on how interested that thing was to me. And so you could go through this really fast. I did like keyboard shortcuts and stuff. And by the end of it, it'd be like, you're interested on an average of 17% of um, your feed, which is totally a normal number. Like I tried this app on tons of people, like 17%. Like, okay, Facebook, this is kind of dumb. Um, and uh, so I, I built that app because I wanted to, uh, prove that something better than Facebook was was necessary and, and like worth my time. And so then I started building my own Facebook thing. It's called Bucket Streams and it's super cool and I never got to finish it um, or actually release it. 
But um, there's a, a video on YouTube that is like a, a Bucket Stream Stories episode one, the only episode ever. But it was mm. like explained what Bucket Streams is all about. It's super cool. But uh, the, the process of building that, um, that thing that I wanted to have exist taught me insane amounts of things. Like one of the things I learned from building that was uh, Jot authentication because I needed to support multiple domains. And uh, and in the process of, of learning that, I took um, that learning and made a talk out of it that I gave at a meetup uh, here in Utah. And that meetup talk was actually recorded and made uh, um, viewable publicly online on YouTube. And the creator of Egghead.io, John Lindquist, saw that video and asked me to turn that into an Egghead course. So um, I decided, so like, let's go through that again. I decided that I wanted to um, uh, build something. In the process of building that, I learned something that I thought was interesting. And I turned that learning into a teaching opportunity at a meetup. And um, that teaching opportunity was made public, which I think is really important. Try to make all the things you teach public. So that teaching opportunity was made public, and then somebody saw it and gave me an even better opportunity. And that was my first Egghead IO course. And that changed my like that changed so much about my um, life experience. And and uh, uh, when I started teaching for Egghead, a lot of things, uh, a lot of new opportunities came my way. Um, so yeah, just build something that you want to have exist in the world. And like Bucket Streams doesn't exist anymore. In fact, I just let the um, the service I was using to host it um, wanted me to migrate to a new version, and I'm not going to spend time on that. So it it just got shut down, mm. and so it doesn't even exist anymore. You can't can't go to it. But um, the things that I learned from that experience will never leave, um, and and it totally changed my life. So like, if you want to build a Facebook clone, like something to kill Facebook, like don't listen to the people who say that it can't be done. Um, they're probably right, but you're going to learn so much out of that experience that um, it's it's worth it anyway. So, cool. So, what what do you do when you get stuck on this project that you're working on? Oh man, that's the best part. It doesn't feel like it, but it is. Um, <laughs> so, like, just going on with that Jot authentication thing. Um, I so I started just using cookies. Um, for authentication, just passing uh, the user information in, uh, in a cookie, um, and uh, and that was working great. But then I uh, wanted to build a mobile app, and that wasn't working um, because I couldn't communicate across that domain somehow. I I, I still don't totally understand why that didn't work. Um, but those HTTP requests just didn't, you can't set the cookie. Uh, I think actually, no, what, what, what happened was I was building an Ionic app cause this is all angular stuff. Mm. And, um, when I was testing it, I had to test it on a different domain, um, from localhost. And so the cookie, it can't be set cross do- domain. That's wh- what was going on. And so I was just like banging my head against the wall. Why is this not working? I was like Googling cookies and stuff and, and I couldn't find anything. So I finally got on IRC because that was still a thing back then. Um, it still is a thing today, but I refuse to use IRC. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, back then that was a thing. And, and I got an Angular IRC channel and I just said, hey, listen, here's my problem. Um, I'm really struggling with this. Does anybody have any idea? And Rob Wormald, um, uh, who was just like fantastic at answering people's questions, is so helpful in IRC. Um, he was like, oh, what you need is Jots. 
I was like, what's a jot? He's like, oh man, I'm going to change your life. And he explained <laughs> to me what a jot was and, and gave me some material to look up. And, and, uh, and he did, he changed my life. <laughs> so, um, I think when I get stuck, uh, you work on it for, or like you hack at it for like, you know, 20 minutes, but probably don't want to waste too much time on it. Um, once, once you can't figure out what's going on, then try to make a reproducible example that's like separate from your app. Just try to, to rebuild this thing as small as in a small example, as small as you can. Um, and in the process, you're probably going to reveal that the problem isn't what you think it is. Yeah, um, and, yeah. and that will help you identify what the real problem is. But if you can reproduce it in a small example, uh, it's also e easier to debug. So you can maybe spend a little bit more time in there uh, debugging that. And you, you still can't figure it out. Then go to Stack Overflow or like a support community mailing list or chat or something and share your, your reproducible example with somebody. Um, and hopefully somebody responds um, to, to your question because most of the time you'll, you'll probably get a response. If, you're, if you ask your question well enough, you'll probably get a response from somebody. Nice. And would you recommend having that reproducible example somewhere online when you ask your yeah, question? Yeah, definitely. So on, that I, I would just put it on GitHub. I put everything on GitHub. Okay. Or you could do some sort of interactive thing like CodePen, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. I, in fact, that's even better. So like if it's, um, say you're having trouble with the downshift library or something, mm -hmm. um, then you just uh, go to like Code Sandbox or, or CodePen or uh, what's that other one? It's like, uh, I can't remember what it's so called. So many. Yeah, they're a bunch. Um, and doesn't and, I, I think Stack Overflow has a way for you to have code that runs right on the site now, but I've never used yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, they'll run your code if it's like JavaScript, HTML, and CSS um, too. So that's that's kind of cool. Make your reproducible easy to run as possible. Like you want to, uh, you're asking people to help you, um, and like you're not paying for them to do that. So you want to make it as easy as possible. Um, so. Yeah. yeah, and you're also you, you shouldn't just go on there and ask them to write code for you. Yeah, yeah, I've had that too, and that's uh, nobody likes likes that. They you are not going to get help <laughs> if you do that. So, how did you get this uh, opportunity to talk at the meetup? Did you just approach the uh, organizers and say, "Hey, I've got an idea to talk"? About? Yeah, yeah. Meetups are like constantly looking for speakers, like always, always looking. Even like the day of, they'll like mm. send a message out and be like, "Hey, we need speakers." And uh, so yeah, it's it's pretty easy to get up. I, I don't normally use the word easy, but this is one thing where it's pretty easy to get a spot um, at a meetup most of the time, unless you're um, trying to speak at one of those really insanely popular meetups uh like there's in, one in boston and and one in the bay and um for like the react one in the bay like the, the tickets sell out in, immediately well they don't sell it well maybe they do i don't know but um yeah so some some meetups might be a little harder but most of the time meetups are, are really easy to get a spot in uh to speak and uh yeah, uh, and then you just share share your thoughts. Like the the nice thing about meetups is, um, if somebody like if you're worried that nobody's going to be interested in what you're talking about, first of all, you're probably wrong. People are probably interested. But second of all, if if people aren't really interested, they're not actually going to the meetup to um, like necessarily learn all the stuff that's being taught there. Lots of people are there just to rub shoulders with other developers that they don't work with. Um, at least that's one of the main reasons I go. 
Um, and so like it's not a total loss if your talk ends up not being interesting to them. Uh, so don't worry about that. Um, and, uh, and it'll be a great experience. What kind of talk do you recommend giving at a meetup? You could give, you know, a, a live coding demo or something with just slides or something where they're supposed to follow along like a workshop. What, what works well? Yeah, good question. Um, so my first talk, um, it was actually interesting. So I, I, um, I wrote a library called Genie.js um, that is, I, I think, still pretty, pretty neat. Um, and I just that like I'd never actually been to a meetup before, but I'd heard about them because oh. I'd listened to podcasts that like would say and this meetup thing. And so I was like, well, uh, that sounds interesting. And I, I went to the meetup dot com page and I noticed they needed a speaker and I had this library and I thought, oh, that'd be cool to talk about my library. So I just I I'm kind of uh, maybe uh, like I'm a bit extroverted. I always lo have loved talking in front of people and, and stuff. And so I just reached out and said, hey, um, I have this library I could talk about. And you want to like, can I talk about it? He's like, yeah, sure. Who, who are you? <laughs> and uh, but he didn't ask me who I was. He was like, yeah, that sounds cool. And so, yeah, my first ever meetup, um, I, luckily I wasn't the first speaker, but um, I, my first talk was, I actually, that day when I got accepted, it was, the meetup was that night, and I built an app um, that was like a follow through this thing to, um, to learn about the library, and I just walked them through the app. Um, so that was kind of cool. That's like, there are a lot of really interesting side effects from speaking where you build libraries to make things easier or you build tools to make things easier so that your talk is cooler. That's where Redux came from. <laughs> yeah. So, so um, yeah, so I, I built an app to make my talk easier. Um, what I would recommend, though, is probably, like, um, just tell a story. Uh, you can use slides. There's nothing wrong with slides. I use slides all the time. Um, I use slides.com uh, because it's really easy to make make slides on there. Um, and, yeah, just tell, tell a story of... of a time where you like totally failed and, and some things that you learned from that or um, uh, teach about a specific technology and you can use slides for that. You can, if you want to, you can live code. Um, just be aware that like live coding can sometimes go horribly, horribly wrong if you're not uh, practiced. So you want to practice that a lot. Um, I, I live code uh, sometimes. I, I really like live coding myself, but um, let's see that. Yeah, they're, they're like... I, there's not really any particular, like for your first talk, do this uh, kind of advice. Just do whatever you feel comfortable with. Like I've seen uh, somebody go up and, and just say, like they, they asked the organizer if they could give like a five minute talk. And that's totally cool. I, the organizer's probably like, yeah, sure. Um, and so like I saw somebody give up and give, go up and give a five minute talk without any notes or slides or anything. They just went up and, and told a story about what happened and what they learned from it. And it's cool. So yeah, you can do all kinds of, of uh, things that, yeah. And, and you uh, practice, I, I think when you're giving talks, you wanna practice as much as you can um, if you wanna do a good job. So like I'll practice in front of the mirror or I'll like just practice in front of nothing just in, in my office sometimes i'll practice um and live stream my practice run on twitch and people can give me feedback um i'll i've practiced with my wife a couple times um and she is in like super duper supportive um but she um i i sometimes worry that she's bored by uh the stuff that yeah. i uh sometimes talk about so um 
yeah, get get somebody who's who's interested and invested in, in you being successful. Uh, and that can be your spouse um, if, if you're married. So yeah, just a couple ideas there. Cool. Yeah, I like that idea about just asking if you do a five minute talk because yeah. it doesn't have to be a whole hour. A yeah, whole hour totally. can sound really intimidating. Yeah. Yeah. My first talk was like 20 minutes or 15 minutes. So. Yeah. So uh, what, what would you say to more introverted people that aren't excited about getting up and talking in front of people or if you're scared of having it recorded and putting on YouTube? Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, so I, like I said, I'm definitely not introverted. I, I love my stuff being as public as possible. And, and unfortunately that's like, um, like one of the key elements to me um, having the opportunities that I've had has been making as much uh, as I do public. Um, but if that's not some, something you're interested in or like you just don't want to be recorded or something, that's totally cool too. Um, you, there are lots of other things that you can do to share your knowledge with people. Uh, you could do more one-on-one things uh, where you have a, a s- smaller impact in terms of the number of people you impact, but maybe a bigger impact on the one person that you're talking with. Um, and you could uh, write blog posts and those get like in uh, blog posts are actually probably get the uh, most amount of engagement of anything that I do. Um, just I, I'm not sure why that is because I, I actually don't like reading blog posts very much. Um, but <laughs> lots of people like blog posts. So, um, and that's that's a, a good way to, um, you know, not have your face or your likeness recorded if that if that's something you want to avoid. Um, and uh, yeah, you can make a, a repository that's like a workshop style repository or tutorial or something. Uh, lots and lots of ways to share your knowledge without sharing your face. <laughs> Uh, do you do you recommend using a blogging platform or your own site? Yeah, good question. So um, at first, when when you're just getting started, um, what you need is like people to uh, discover you um, and and your content, um, and that's hard to do if you just do your own site. Like you're you're not going to get quite as many quite as much engagement. The other thing is that you um, you could get tied up in the process of creating your own site, yeah. Um, which like will teach you a lot of stuff. So I uh, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. You'll you'll learn a lot, but you're not um, gonna push your way forward and getting like an audience um, by working on your site. Um, mm-hmm. So I actually recommend using a, a platform an existing platform for stuff like this so if you're doing screencasts or something youtube is great um and if you can get into something like egghead uh then that's that's awesome too um and uh like uh, medium is what i use actually even even now i could probably branch off onto my own blog um, but i don't want to waste time working on my site um i have other things i want to work on so i i just use medium I do have a, like a custom um, uh, URL and, and uh, publication on Medium. So like if I decided to branch off Medium, and then all the I can make all the links work and stuff, which is which is nice. Nice. Um, but uh, yeah, so um, using an existing platform is probably what I'd recommend uh, for people. Go go where the the audience is rather mm-hmm. than uh, expecting the audience to come to you because they probably won't um, when when nobody like when you're just getting started and nobody knows who you are. Right. Yeah, totally. I've been I've been using my own site and there's only one 
this one blog post that has a ton of traffic just because people are searching for it and not finding it anywhere else. Mm. But other than that one, it, Nothing. yeah, no, no one can find it. Of course. Yeah. Um, so you talked a lot about giving back and reaching the most people possible. What, what do you see as the importance of giving back? For me, I'm actually in a, like an insanely privileged situation myself. Like, um, I had, you know, yeah, a stable family growing up. I didn't have to worry about that. I, I went to, to school. Uh, like I, I um, was able to, to pay for college and everything. I didn't have to worry about paying my family's bills or whatever. Um, and uh, yeah, just given so many opportunities um, outside of my own, um, um, my own actions and things. And so I kind of feel because of all of that um, privilege that I've been given, I feel compelled to give back um, because like, I, I just feel like it's my moral obligation uh, to give back. Um, and so that's like a big reason why I make so much of the, like I do so much work for free is so that I can um, try to give um, improved opportunities for other people. So I have a YouTube channel with a lot of educational material for people to, to go learn uh, stuff uh, from. And, and I do a lot of open source stuff to make it uh, other people more effective and, and things. And I, I blog and teach um, in part to, you know, to solidify my own understanding, but also to, uh, to make uh, kind of lift others, I guess. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's kind of why I, I give back is I just feel compelled to uh, to do that uh, from a, like a moral obligation standpoint, um, and then it, uh, like on top of that, it like it does a lot for my career. Um, like I, I got my job at PayPal because people know who I am, um, and uh, and so that like it's already paid off really nicely. Um, and uh, yeah, making it the the other thing is. Um, you're probably already doing a lot of work, um, like putting, putting a lot of effort out into the world. And if you can like somehow, like, like for example, you, you're having this conversation with somebody about Git, uh, you're, you're like, they're teaching you or you're teaching them or something. Um, and that, uh, exchange has a lot of value inside of it. And if you can somehow capture that value and then spread it, um, in a public way, um, then you increase that impact like uh, exponentially. Um, and so like when I want to learn about Git or something from somebody, instead of just like having a one-on-one -on -one video chat conversation, I will uh, ask them if they're cool if I record it and put it on YouTube. And now all of a sudden like that impact uh, and that giving back is happening uh, just naturally. Um, yeah. The other part of that is people are more willing to have those kinds of conversations with me when they know that the impact will be bigger than just me. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I, I've been able to have some really cool conversations. I call these tech chats and you can find them on my YouTube channel. I've got like 25 of these now. Cool. Um, but uh, yeah, so lots of the giving back that I do is just is uh, me taking the value that I'm, I'm creating um, and capturing that to, uh, to share it with, with the world. Um, whether I'm the one actually creating the value or somebody else is creating the value, um, but finding a way to, to capture that 
um, whether it's recording it or like transcribing it or something, it often takes a little bit more work than it would otherwise, but it, the, the payout off is like, is totally worth it. And, um, and you feel, uh, feel good about yourself for giving back. All right. Uh, so thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I'm excited for the episodes I have coming up next and I have an exciting announcement coming up soon that I can't wait to share. You can follow the show on Twitter at Web of Tomorrow FM, and I'm at Agarhar, A-G-A-R-R-H-A-R-R.